Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What's up, everybody? Sorry about that uh, intro to Kenny Loggins there that I... uh accidentally hit the wrong button <laughs> what is up welcome to the good bottle podcast i am your host chris sinclair the guy who uh does an amazing job producing this podcast every single week zero fuck-ups ever drew how you doing buddy i'm doing good like i thought we were about to start like a sequence for an 80s movie right there like a montage and i just was like i was like this is not a visual mod- uh, podcast what are we doing here <laughs> so you know again apologies to 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 listeners, if you got excited like I got excited, then I mean, boy, you really let us down here. We're gonna have to do we're gonna have to do some social media content uh, to that to make up for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Outside of that, I'm doing really good. You know what ended up happening tonight? The Tequila Ladies, our guest last week, did their show tonight, and I was I was like I was a little freaked out about it. Because, you know, you have that moment when you get so used to a routine, right? So like this podcast, this podcast comes out Monday, late night, Tuesday, early morning. They do their shows on Tuesday because it's Tequila Tuesday. And I'm sitting at my daughter's gymnastics tonight and she actually kicked me out. She was like, I need you. I need you to leave. Of gymnastics class? Yeah. Yeah. Like I like I was like, I was like, I'm not going to leave because just in case you like melt down, I got to be there. And then after she stretched, she came over. He goes, "Dad, you got to go." So that that's happening already to me, which is ridiculous. Um, and then I'm out there and I'm watching the tequila days, and I'm like, "I'm like, wait a minute, today is Monday. This is so confusing." And I, you know, it was like one of those things. You're like, "What day is it?" Like if you wake up like a mid afternoon nap, it was like one of those things, but in social media context. So we had to send them a strongly worded email to be like, "Don't be doing this to me." You know, these dads with little sleep. Not fair. Not fair at all. But it was a good episode. They right. had the they had the uh, guy from Penta Tequila on there, which is awesome. So, oh nice, really, 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 really good episode. So if 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 you guys aren't already listening to that one, you know, go back listen to our show, fall in love with those two, and then go watch all their videos on their on their Instagram. And I think tonight's guest, you're also going to fall in love with because I know that I've fallen in love with this person Same. many times over, many times over. Um, he is the founder of Good News Wine, which we have mentioned numerous times on this podcast. And when we found out that he would be interested in coming on, like we popped, you know, like we were excited because you don't always you don't always know how people are going to be about it. They're kind of like, oh, your cute little podcast that you do, like, get out of here. Like, I don't have, I don't have time for that. I run, I run a successful business and I'm a father. Get out of here. Um, but that was not the case. So tonight's guest uh is bennett cross from good news wine bennett welcome tell us about this blue bottle that you're drinking out of hey guys thanks so much for having me it's great yeah chris was at the bar you know about a month ago and just totally just turned to me he's like yeah podcast i was like yeah and here we are (laughs) so i'm I'm, uh, honored to be here um yeah blue bottle i'm i'm drinking a wine from hungary it's from previously called valley boar um, shout out to Eric Danch of Danch and Granger Selections, Sacramento. Oh. 
I love his hero collection. of Eastern European wine. He's like the most interesting dude ever and is also just generally one of the most just awesome people I've met through this whole thing. Um, so yeah, Volibor, this is, uh, the grape is called Keknilu. It's a native variety to Southern Hungary. I think it's all 40 hectares of this grape are grown in this tiny region around this lake, Lake Balaton. Um, and yeah, it's like a special thing to get like a bottling of just Keknilu, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's in a bottle that's blue. Um, and that's is there a reason cool. the bottle is blue. <laughs> there is a reason. Um, and I, 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 I think I remember the first time I tasted with him last vintage, it had something to do with the fact that it was just Keknilu or perhaps it had something to do with the lake. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had other wines from this producer before and they are not blue. Um, and so, yeah, I think it again has to do with something this, just it being solely this variety and being solely of this area. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's like super, super mineral, you know, licking a basalt rock kind of vibe. Um, but not without fruit and I'm loving it. So why don't you explain to our listeners, why the hell would you be drinking a wine from Southern Hungary that comes in a blue bottle? Because this is not your just normal Rayleigh's pickup. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, something we try to do all together with the shop, but just something that's compelling to me personally, I guess, is just kind of, I, I love tasting things that kind of take me out of context, you know, T- tasting something that, um, tasting something I've never had before, and sometimes tasting something that makes me think maybe I've never had wine before. <laughs> um, and Eric's portfolio definitely does that. I mean, he focuses on Eastern Europe, you know, the, as far west he goes is Austria, so it's like Hungary, Serbia, Romania, you know, Slovakia, um, all you know, Croatia, all of that. And so it's just it's just kind of cool because a lot of wine education and focus in general is, you know, France, Italy, California. Um, and so tasting wines from places that are not those places are inspiring to me. Um, and and I, I guess I know I love an underdog story and. This definitely seems like one of those things. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I just think it, I just think it's really interesting. I love tasting with Eric. I love, you know, we've brought a lot of wines from him into the shop for the either for the shop or by the glass. We've done, we did a, we did a event with him that was just this his one Serbian producer. Um, all kinds of like, you know, varieties. Again, you like hear these words and you're like, I don't even know what that is. And they're just like grape varieties that have been in that part of the world since God knows how long. Um, and they're just not a part of the like standard lexicon. And I just, I just, I don't know. I really love that kind of like pushing people outside of their, you know, the words they know and kind of, you know, trying something new, but not, not just new for the sake of being new, but for the sake of it being like, this is goddamn delicious. Like, you know, I'm, this is not good because it's in a blue bottle and it's from this place you've never heard of. It's good because it's really good. <laughs> um, and I feel like people don't get that opportunity often enough. And I, I know I hadn't. And so it's like cool to be able to like be a part of that. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, Danch has, has uh, given to me in my life and in, in my uh, experiences in knowing that man is... Uh, uh, Every chance I get now, I go out of my way to find a wine on a list that I can't pronounce 
and I am almost always happier that I did that than sticking with something that I thought I knew. Totally. It's, it's especially with wine, you know, in the general market, people kind of stick to their thing. You know, they like Chardonnay. They don't like Chardonnay. They, you know, they like Cab. They don't like Cab. They, you know, it's very easy to kind of fall into a thing. I mean, I guess with, with a lot of beverages too, I mean, you guys probably know better than I, you know, people like this, that's like their thing. They get that, they drink that. And that's that they go to the grocery store, they buy the same bottle, they go to the bar, they ask for the same tequila, vodka, whatever it is. Um, and we've, we've you know, definitely like, we do 14 wines by the glass and it gives me a lot of opportunity to kind of like nudge people in a weird direction. You know, it's like we have safe stuff. We have stuff that like, you know, you've seen those words before, you know, those regions or maybe even producers, but we definitely try to like keep some stuff on there. That's like, I don't know. Like, what is that? Let me try it. So, so good news wine opens in 2021. And this was obviously something that you have been planning for a bit and wanted to get into it. What's the process like of being like, okay, I'm going to open up a wine bar. I'm going to open up a type of wine bar that at the time currently didn't exist in, in Sacramento. And so, you know, for our listeners who may not have heard us wax poetically about good news, um, it is, you know, you have an ethos of, of, you know, picking what tends to be more natural wine. I know you don't look at it always as like, just like a natural wine bar. Like it's mostly like, Hey, I kind of want open vat fermentation, you know, a couple things that tick boxes for you. But, um, what ends up being that driving force where you're kind of like, Hey, this is, this is a niche that, that I need to, that I need to fill. Well, I mean, I think you could like zoom back out of the like natural wine thing for a second and just like wine. Right. Like I, my background was in coffee. I did a lot of like quality control and like sensory training stuff in coffee and like built up a palate and all this kind of stuff. And I was really into beer at the time, friends with brewers. And that was kind of my thing. And then my then girlfriend, now wife, was like, wine, you know, like people say wine's like the thing, you know, if you have a palate, you like you're into wine, like blah, blah, blah. And I was just kind of like, I don't know, I, it just doesn't really feel comfy. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't really feel like a comfortable zone to be in. And so she got me this like wine 101 class um, at this awesome little wine shop in Berkeley, Solano Cellars. And it was like super chill, like very relaxed, like the owner, I think, was running it. He's just like very kind of like don't worry about it. It's why I'm going to tell you about how I think about it. And it's like not a big deal. Um, and that kind of like sparked this thing in me that was like, okay, this wine, there's something going on here. I need to try to figure out how to get involved. And, um, I didn't really feel like I, I didn't really have a place to go where I felt like I could ask a lot of questions and I ask a lot of questions. I'm a very like interested person and I'm like trying to figure things out. And so, um, it took a while for me to like find a place to like have that conversation. I ended up finding it at a place in Oakland called the punch down, which happened to be a natural wine bar. And these people were like open arms. They were like, yeah, let's like, we'll figure it out together and I'll make you a little flight and I'll tell you about this thing. And it's all cool. I'm like, don't worry about it. And just made it really easy for me to enjoy. Um, and in general, my like life, you know, in hospitality, that's been the thing is like not being a gatekeeper, but holding the gate open. And like, how can we like invite people into the thing that we're doing? And 
so I was like immediately turned on by this place. And I was like, yes, I feel like I could be dumb here. I could ask questions. I don't know what, I don't know, you know, shit from Shinola. It's like, and it's fine. And they're like letting me learn and it's cool. Um, and so I, that kind of like that kind of foundational experience or perhaps lack thereof kind of was the footing for this thing that ended up becoming good news wine. Um, for those that haven't been, we have kind of an interior aesthetic of this kind of like diner delicatessen kind of thing. You know, the counter has a little step up. You have these like kind of comfy little booths that give you a little hug in the back. And that was intentional in kind of like a diner or deli is a thing that people know how to do. Or I should say a lot of people know how to do. It's a very familiar experience for a lot of people. You can go to a diner anywhere in the world and you're kind of like, yeah, I got that. I know how to do that. It's not you know, you could be anywhere. And it's like, I know how to do this. It's not hard. Like it's a diner or whatever. I'm going to get my little breakfast order. Um, and so using that visually to kind of like disarm people and let it be more comfortable and just kind of like, yeah, the product is wine. And sometimes the conversation around wine is, or can be intense or, um, you know, snooty or whatever it is. And so we just wanted to create a place that was felt easy and comfortable and you could ask questions or you could just get you if you want the pink one I got the pink one you don't need to talk about it and if you want to like you know talk about why the wine came in a blue bottle or how to say kekmilu because the vowels are in crazy places like we could do that too um and that that's the whole kind of idea about it and then with the natural wine um piece of it it's just that I like that's where I happened to like land in wine and I found it very interesting and it kind of like aligns with kind of the artisan ethos of kind of like just taking a raw thing and not doing too much with it and kind of like just helping guide it and move it along in its process and not adding too much stuff along the way and you know I think keeping the earth in mind in general is a good idea so looking at farming practices and labor practices and stuff kind of came along with that. So I, so I know that you've been, you know, you've been in this for, you know, for a while now. And I know like one of the things that, that ends up happening when you're, when you're so far deep into it is that it's hard to take a step back and be like, wow, that was really genius. So I just want to tell you how genius it was to do the diner thing because you've seen a lot of other places have to pivot from, you know, trying to make it more approachable and trying to do those things to come out with that concept initially. I mean, again, you know, for, I mean, it's it's still, I use good news as like my place to go on Mondays where I can actually be out, but then be knocking out a bunch of like admin stuff, having some really good wine. You know, I've been there, you know, multiple times just in terms of like, I just want to feel comfortable somewhere where I can also get like a really good glass of wine. Like Mm -hmm. it's so genius. And I just feel like we need to lean more into that and just be like, how who came up with that was it you was it the wife i mean where did the stroke of genius kind of be like diners that's the one like you said everybody knows how to do this yeah that's a great question i mean i think i mean i think kind of looking back and like kind of you know looking within a little bit i've i've never i've never liked being in boxes you know people are like you want to be this and you want to be that and you want to be this and you want to be that and i'm kind of like i just kind of want to do the thing that i'm doing and like does it have to like you know, it's like the same with the natural wine thing, you know, that you, you were talking about. It's kind of like, yeah, I serve natural wine. And I, I think that, you know, the we, we should probably get into it because 
you know, it's hard not to get into it, but like what even is natural wine? That's a whole thing that we can talk about in a minute if you'd like, but like, you know, I lean on the clean side of things, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of, you know, stability in wine and like how much you can add of this and how much you can add of that. And like, I have kind of my core things that I'm kind of like, these are the criteria that I'm looking for to try to get, have some sort of bar of things that get into the shop. Um, but as for the, like the approachability and the diner thing, it's like, I think, well, first of all, I've always loved diners. I don't know what, what's up with that. I've just always loved diners. I mean, when I would travel to other places, I would seek out like kind of like other people's interpretation of diners and kind of like what, what is it? And I, I'm, I'm Jewish. And so like the kind of deli, the Jewish deli thing, it just kind of feels very comfortable and warm and familiar. And like, I just like crave that. And so um, there's that. And, and then the other piece of this that I think is like, like maybe talked about less is that I think the re the reason that there's this kind of like, shared nostalgia around diners or delis is that they're timeless right like or 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 some degree of timeless they're not chasing a trend they're not trying to be a thing that is of the era that they're in they're like kind of in a way they're kind of stuck in time um for better for worse and i know there are like modern diners and there's you know people in diner settings doing like fancy fine dining and all that kind of stuff but it still kind of wraps itself into this like diner deli approachability category um and i i think timelessness is something that's important to me in general because i don't want to like i want you know i want good news to be around forever you know or, or you know some some level of forever and if it was a bar that looked some kind of way because it looked dope at that moment you know there's always kind of like in the back of my head is like is this going to be dope in 10 years from now or like are the people 10 years from now is this going to be lost on people 10 years from now and so I think kind of like grounding myself in this kind of like already rooted tried and true aesthetic vibe it 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 was just where I wanted to be because because like I said again and I'll say it over and over again it's like you could people can go to a diner and they like get it it's like I know how to do this and maybe the colors are different. Maybe the wallpaper is different. Maybe the bat, you know, the bathrooms look some kind of way, or the stuff on the shelf, for example. You know, we're not selling like modern diner food. We're selling like wine and wine bar food. And so the product itself doesn't necessarily like uh, ha- have to be different or comment on the diner thing. The diner thing kind of like stands alone and is like diner vibe. And then it's like, oh yeah, and we sell wine. <laughs> welcome to the yeah. diner it's not coffee it's wine right no and and i mean and again i absolutely love it it's you know something that you know if you're in sacramento and you haven't been to good news wine do yourself a favor go it's closed on tuesdays so just don't say that i disappointed you so go every other day um and if you're traveling to sacramento go there as well uh so now let's 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 get into the unavoidable question of what is natural wine you know over the years yeah. chris and i have had you know, people from the natural wine world to come on and it's, and it feels like there was, you know, a time and place where it was just like, you just kind of saw it everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. Now it kind of feels like it's just settled in to just part of the landscape, um, which I, which I really appreciate because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, multiple conversations that we've had offline, 
is, you know, you've cultivated this experience to where it's like people don't necessarily know they're drinking the quote unquote natural wines. And I believe that you had a story about a guy who, and I'll let you tell it about his impression of what he thinks yeah. natural wine is and then what he was actually drinking. For so, sure. um, but yeah, yeah like, natural you know, wine. Yeah. I mean, shall I? I mean, natural yeah, wine is like, it's just like a, it's a whole ass can of worms it's just make everybody mad go i'm gonna make everybody mad everybody on both sides um so (laughs) natural wine i mean so natural wine i should say for natural wine for us at the shop is wine made with grapes that are farmed with the earth in mind whether that means they're organic or biodynamic or farm sustainably certified or not um that they're they're not hurting the earth by trying to farm these grapes that those grapes are then taken and made in uh, you know, a facility that's hopefully practicing like good labor practices that is fermented with native yeast, which I guess the like opposite of that would be to be using yeasts that are cultivated in labs to make wine taste some kind of way. Um, and then without much added along the way, you could add lots of things to wine. You could add tannin, you could add acids, you could add preservatives, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sulfur dioxide is the big kind of like elephant in the room, which is a preservative. Um, we're okay with some amount of sulfur dioxide, um, as long as it's in like low subperceptual doses that are not like messing with the like experience of the wine. Um, but sometimes wines need a little hit of that to not go to vinegar too fast and to let help them get, you know, over the ocean or whatever it is. Um, so that's what natural wine is for us. When we talk about natural wine in the shop with our guests, it's a it it it, it go, can go any number of ways depending on where the guest is coming from. We're we're very purposefully not good news wine, a natural wine bar. Um, we're not like screaming that from the rooftops because natural wine can be like a polarizing thing. And I, again, approachability is the key for us, and so we don't want it to be like a this or that thing. Again, I hate being in boxes. So I hate being like this. And then I'm not allowed to do that. And it like, makes me crazy. Um, so we're not like screaming that again, for all intents and purposes, all of the wines that you'd find in our establishment would be natural by mo- many, I'd say most people's definition and definitely our definition. Um, the other way to think about natural wine is that like when I came into natural wine, natural wine was like an antipode to something. It was like natural wine is a response to wine made and the word most often uses conventionally or so like conventional wine and conventional wine in my head is like industrial wine, right? So like 200 years ago, all wines were natural wines, right? They didn't have stuff to like stabilize it. They didn't have like organic acids in a bottle that they could like throw a little bit of this and a little of that. They didn't have a yeast that can make grapes from Fresno taste like Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Like these things exist now and they didn't then. So like I've heard some people say pre-industrial wine and it does not sound sexy, but like is descriptive, you know, like wine before industrial farming and like let's crank this stuff out and get it on the grocery shelf, uh, grocery shelf kind of mindset. Um, and so there was very much this kind of like, it was like a, like a response to like natural wine is a response to a thing. But the more I like learn about it and the more that I'm involved in what's going on, the more I just kind of think about it of like wine before industrial farming and like industrial, like, factory practices right it's like grapes that are grown from the earth 
that you cultivate because you like give a shit and it's like you're taking care of your land and you want the crop to show up next year and like you know you're like not spraying death on the ground and you pick those grapes and then you mash them up some kind of way and you take the juice away and you like study it and watch it do its thing and like keep tabs on it and like make sure it has what it needs you know to like be healthy and then you bottle it and sell it you know it's like kind of like just kind of like it's, it's, by the way the wi-fi password is old grape juice <laughs> Good news wine. Um, because that's what wine is and so that's that's kind of the way i think about it is that it's like old grape juice and and, and unfortunately through you know all these industrial practices there is this other product that is also wine in you know almost every sense of the word it's just like heavily manipulated in a lot of ways and i'm not like putting any value judgment on that right like that exists that's cool that's a drink people drink that that's like that's great it's just not it's just not the thing that we're we're selling we're trying to kind of like have this kind of like wine is just old grape juice kind of vibe and and when you when you see that like i said i feel like there's I think that's such a great way to put it is that it kind of started as a response and it was almost like a flag that people were carrying and it was like, Oh, I'm, you know, that's, I'm just about that natty bro. And, and all those dumb things. And fortunately I feel like it has just kind of died down. And I mean, even just today, both Chris and I were, were, were sitting at, at good news and, you know, we were sitting at a full bar almost, you know, it was, it was really cool to see. And, and, and the other thing that like a big takeaway that I had was it was legitimately a huge spectrum of ages as well, which I think is always a really good sign when there's just multiple peoples from multiple generations all enjoying the same thing. Um, You know, so outside of this anecdotal evidence, I mean, how's the response been? Like, what do you, do you, you know, it's, it's now been almost two years. Mm Mm-hmm where were you guys at 2021 where you see like, now you're like, Oh, I, I don't have to explain this as much or what, what's the differences that you see just that's transpired over the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, so directly in response to like that specific thing, having to explain things, I'd say it's about the same. Like we're, we're having a lot of the same conversations as we were having at the beginning. We're having them with new guests, which is great. You know, the people who have come and like heard the spiel and like kind of know what's going on. They like get it. Um, And they know, they kind of know what we're after. I think, a big part of the like not being like you know screaming natural from the rooftops invites a lot of people in that may not have gotten there i guess the other thing that is kind of like not an elephant in the room but like a thing that's worth saying is that like sometimes wine can be like real messed up <laughs> like in general right like wine can you know if it's not stable it could turn into vinegar it could go like kombucha vibes it could get like you know, some bacterial problems. Like there are things that can go, that can go wrong in wine. And unfortunately in natural wine, that ha- that likelihood is a little bit more common because you're not adjusting, you're not adding stabilizers, you're not adding organic acids, blah, 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 blah. So we have people who come in and say, um, we have both people who come in and say, which one's the natural wine? Like they hold up the menu and they're like, which one's the natural wine? I want to have some natural wine. And I'm like, Oh, good news wine uh you can you any of those wines would like fit that bill and then we have people who come in and be like oh i don't want the natural wine like give me one that's not the natural wine um and 
again, lots of training and lots of like learning with our guests and with our staff. Like a lot of times that means that they've had something that was billed to them as natural wine that was jacked up. Like it was just like not okay. And it did taste like vinegar or kombucha or whatever it is. And some people like come to me and they're like, I want the one that tastes like kombucha. I'm like, so into that. And I'm like, cool. Okay. Like, let me take them to the bottle shop and tell you about some like crazy things. But a lot of people like have a strong negative reaction to that experience, right? They want to be drinking wine and they're drinking this thing that has like all these like, again, air quotes off flavors or off aromas or whatever um, that to some people are cool. Um, to some people are cool to some degree and to some people are like not tolerable at all. Um, and so we have to like, when people come in and they give us that, I don't want the natural wine, like the flag goes up in my mind, like, okay, they had some sort of experience that they were given something that they were told was natural wine. It was messed up. And I need to try to like walk that back and figure out like what that was. Um, and again, earlier I mentioned we lean on the clean side of things. I mean, that kind of falls into this conversation is that there are wines that are extremely volatile or that can have off flavors or aromas. Again, air quotes on off flavors and aromas. Um, and I, I tend to, especially for the by the glass menu, tend to put wine on the menu that is a little bit more stable that like, you know, I, the, the way I, I talk about it to our guests is that like, you could give it to your grandma and she wouldn't know that there was anything funny, you know, that she wouldn't know it was natural wine. She'd be like, Oh, it's just wine. Just like stable wine. Um, it might taste more alive and more vibrant than the wines that, you know, grandma's used to, but like, she's not going to like be like, what's up with this wine? Who, you know, you know, why was this, you know, this wine's all messed up. Um, and that, and that's, deep voice that's grandma right mean. there. That's like, yeah. she's got grandma. Grandma's bringing that that's base. That Cabernet grandma. <laughs> um, so, so you do have a pretty active, um, you know, by the glass menu and it's, yeah. it's rotating you know, pretty, pretty quickly. And there's been plenty of times where, uh, you know, there's lots of things like on that menu that I can't pronounce that I'm just kind of like, in, you know, there's only a little bit of room for description too, which I know that you have a lot of fun with like trying to be clever and making it approachable, but also being like, Hey, this is kind of what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. What goes into the, into the process of, um, you know, of picking that by the glass menu and, kind of your motivation for just changing it as as often as you do because you know comparatively a lot of places that have a by the glass menu i mean that is like that for at minimum like an entire quarter right uh-huh. and yours is changing almost every other week you know i remember yeah. that was at one point that was the click it was moving i'm not sure if it's still moving that fast but yeah so yeah the move on that is that um I love tasting things (laughs) and um, a lot of our guests love tasting things. We have a lot of regulars and I mean, and also for the staff, you know, you got to keep it like interesting and exciting. So, so the, the, basically the way it works is we we get 14 wines. We have two sparkling, four white, two orange, two rosé, four red at all times. And basically what I do is I'll buy three or four cases of something to fill a slot. And when those three to four cases are gone, I pick something completely new. You know, part of me, you know, part of it is that like, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment because um, it's, it's a lot to like keep up on. But um, I think it's important because like, we do want to keep this as a dynamic thing. I don't want people to like, there, there's some degree to which I want there to be a predictability, like in that people trust me 
and we're like getting there where people are like, I trust that what you put on the menu, like I'm going to want to at least try it. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to be that place where someone comes in and orders the same glass of wine for a year. I want people to try new things. I want to push people and I have buckets, right? Like there's like, I have four white wines. I need two on the leaner side. I need two that are a little bit more rich. You know, I have always have one sparkling white. I've only have one, one sparkling pink. Um, you know, I have one lighter rosé, one heavier rosé, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do try to kind of keep like there being like, if someone comes in and they want a rich red, that I have something that is a rich red. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, the five grapes that either of you would say out loud if I said a rich red, but it'll be a, a heavy bodied red that would fit that person's liking. Um, and so that's, that's just kind of how it goes. And it keeps it exciting. Like I said, for the staff to continue to, to grow their palates and to grow their, you know, understanding of what's going on out there. It's fun for me to like continue to taste things and learn about new things. And it's fun for our guests to kind of like try something new. And we do have people who come in and they say, I want, you know, I like Chardonnay and I'm like, cool. Like, and we train like to, to us, that means this number of things. Let's ask two more probing questions and then find them something on our menu that like matches that kind of profile of what they're looking for. Um, because nine times out of 10, it's like not the Chardonnay-ness that people are into. It's there's some there's something else going on there um, that they're looking for. And, you know, again, there, there are people who like know what's going on and they know their shit and they know what they like and they don't like. And they're like, when they mean I want Chardonnay, they like mean something very specific. And for that, you know, we have options in the bottle shop, etc. Um, but a lot of times when people come in and they say, I like this or I don't like that, there's lots more you can glean about what you might be able to give them. And that's the goal of the menus to offer breadth of style so that we can always find something for someone. Oh, I think that's, I think that's great. And it's, it's definitely one of those ones that each time you go in, I mean, my question always to your staff, because you, your staff is definitely one of the better ones that I've come across just in my times. Like you kind of always feel like you can move them. It's not like I look at them and I look to the right. You're usually at the end of the bar, like, Bennett, what do you think? It's like, no, no, no I totally trust your staff. And, you know, we did that today and, and she was, and she was really great. Um, has there ever been a situation where you try something and you're kind of like, okay, how I, how do I get rid of this other bottle so I can hurry up and get this on because I love it so much. Is that something that you run into or, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, that, that happens. That happens. I mean, I like, I genuine, genuinely am excited about the wines that we put on the menu, but there are definitely times where things come in or that I taste certain things and I'm like, man, I can't wait to get that back in my mouth, which means I need to get it back on the menu. <laughs> um, there's definitely like, there are times where we're down to like five bottles of something and we're like doing other menu changes. And I'll be like, take those five bottles, put them on the shelf, you know, in the shop, we'll sell them. You've tasted them. You know them well, you'll be able to hand sell them in the shop. Let's get this new one in there. Um, but you know, the, the other thing that's like really interesting about being in the Sacramento market is that, we don't have that many reps that like live in our market. Um, you know, Danch, Eric Danch, again, shout out to Eric Danch. Um, it does live in Sacramento. So we do get to taste with him. And there, there are several others that live in our area, but a lot of the reps that I work with are based in the Bay. Um, and what ends up happening is that they come to town for one, maybe two days, every four to six weeks. 
And I like have to take that appointment. Like I have to move other things to be like, yes, I need to taste with you because like, otherwise I'm not going to get the opportunity to do that for some time. Um, the, you know, the other piece of that puzzle is that I know that everybody who's tasting with a person that day is tasting all those same wines. And so it's like, how do I, you know, like which ones are the ones that I'm going to take? Or am I going to take them for the shop? Or am I going to take them for the menu? Like, am I going to stagger it? Should I like put it on future order so I could bring it in six weeks from now because I know everybody else is going to buy it today. Like all of these kinds of things, like kind of like cross my mind um, as I'm, as I'm kind of like trying to plan these things out. Um, but the other, the other piece of this puzzle is to be completely honest is that I have to buy blind sometimes, um, which is, you know, a vulnerable thing to say out loud, um, but has to happen. And so I buy, I, I feel comfortable buying blind with certain portfolios that I have very strong relationships with my reps who I've tasted with many, many, many times who know what I'm looking for, what I'm not looking for, what hits and what doesn't hit. Um, and I lean on them sometimes to kind of be like, hey, I have this spot. I need a white. It's in this, you know, in this bucket. I'm trying to hit this price point, so on, so on, so on, so on. Um, and they kind of like give me their spread and I kind of like pick and I like cross my fingers and 9.7 times out of 10, solid. Um, every once in a while, it's like not my favorite wine and we see how it goes. And sometimes, you know, I'll pull it and put it in the shop and it doesn't stay on the menu and things like that. But like, that's, you know, we just, again, approachability is the thing and like ease of use and like not being difficult means we need to try to have quick go for anyone. So someone walks in and they give me their three sentence spiel about their experience with wine. I ask one or two probing questions. I throw a taste down on the counter and we go from there. Um, and, and hopefully there's no more than one more step. And then I'm like, got you, got your glass. So, so you're, you're having to identify you know, certain characteristics that people are looking for because, you know, they are coming in, they are trying stuff from, you know, regions and varietals that they probably haven't had before. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the questions I always ask people, is like, Hey, what's the, you know, what's a safe bet when you're looking at a wine list? Cause I think a lot of us have all sat there and looked at a wine list mm -hmm. that has hundred some odd bottles, 200, whatever the case is. And just be like, I don't yeah. know what the hell to get. Yeah. Um, Same by the way. Well, yeah, I, I would, you know, and I think that's also one of the things I, I love about you the most is that you definitely are one of the people in my life that knows a ton about wine and you're still curious about it. And you're still mm -hmm. learning and you're still very humble about it, which I love. Um, so when you're asking those questions and maybe, you know, you can kind of reverse reverse this. Like if you're if you're going into a shop and maybe you don't know as much, like what are the things that you would tell your you know, or that you're looking for as a retailer, as, you know, a wine shop, you know, owner and stuff like that versus a consumer going in and being like, Hey, how do I kind of figure out where the goods are? You know, like what are some of the yeah. things that you should be asking? What are some of the things that you're interested in? Sure. I mean, the first, the, a couple of things and none of these things are novel, so I'm not going to pretend like I made any of this up, but like, and Chris, <laughs> you probably like see all this, you know, with the, with the shop and everything too, is that, the first rule of selling wine at Good News Wine is get the, the staff stoked on it. The staff is interested at the very, like, even if it's there, like, it's not my favorite wine, but they're like, this is an interesting story, or there's something compelling about this, or whatever it is, that is huge. You know, like, getting information to the team that's going to be actually selling the product 
is important and it's hard. And, and honestly, I have like room to grow here. Like we have 150 something bottles in that shop and it's like, we have this project, <laughs> unofficial project called every wine gets a tag where like, if there's a slow moment in the day, it's like, go grab a bottle off the shelf that you don't, like, you don't know that much about get on the internet for a little bit, read some stuff, ask me some questions. I might have some stuff, write out a little tag, some little story about the producer, a couple of tasting notes you found, something interesting, whatever, write it on a tag, throw it on the bottle and throw it in the, in the shop. And that's just like, you know, we could, hand, we could hand sell things until the cows come home. But like, if a customer can pick up a bottle and read a little snippet that one of us wrote, it's like, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, the other thing that's like a piece of advice, again, not a novel piece of advice, is to like figure out what kind of producers and distributors or importers you're into. And so next time you buy a bottle of wine or you drink a glass of a bottle of wine that you're into, ask to see the bottle and turn that bottle around and look at the back label. The back label is going to have information about who brought that wine to wherever you're drinking it. Um, and so sometimes it'll have the name of a distributor. More often than not, it'll have the name of an importer if it's a wine that's not coming from the United States. Um, and that is like like what I'm saying about me trusting my reps and distributors. This is the same level um, that you can start to trust importers. And you'll start to see trends. You'll be like, hey, everything from this importer hits. I've had a couple of wines from this importer. I don't know. They weren't really my thing. Or um, this producer, I've had three or four wines and they're all bangers. So like, I'm going to keep an eye on that producer. Um, and so those are the things that you're going to start to figure out. And I'm not saying like every wine from producer A is going to be your favorite wine ever, but you start to like, again, kind of learn to trust that like their style is something that you're into. And so at the very least they're worth taking a shot at like buying a bottle or buying a glass to see what it is. Um, so shopping from the back label in wine is a big step in figuring out where you land and you know like in the pre-show we drew and i were talking about you know some wine distributors and it's like there are you know two or three in my life that i'm like these are the wines that turn me on to wine and i trust that these labels will bring me wine that is incredible again whether it's my favorite wine i've ever had or not they have a place in my shop because i like trust what they're doing yeah you so know that, I, that, yeah. I i've i tried to always explain to uh like my my guests and my customers that like fall in love with the winemaker don't fall in love with the brand fall in love you know fall in love with the producer because they they oftentimes have multiple projects that they're working on they're not just mm -hmm. always working on one one specific label you know and if you if you could find that find the importer exactly like that you know and and you can branch out you can start experiencing new things uh if you find a hand of the maker that you just really enjoy that you trust right it's fantastic um what yeah what keeps you going? It, the last few years haven't been easy, man. Like what, yeah. what, what like gets you out of bed and like keeps you stoked. I know not every day you're going to be fucking amped to go into work. Right. But like, yeah. what keeps you going? I mean, I don't know. I just, I just think wine is so cool. <laughs> I think it's so cool. It's so interesting. I mean, it's got like crazy history. It's got like crazy people you know crazy stories of people doing crazy things and their families and their ancestors or not you know they're like some person who like had this like holy moly moment and like was like i need to like make this juice into wine and like how does it work um there's this ben folds quote drew and i have talked about this there's this ben folds quote the more you know the more you know you don't know shit 
um and yeah, it's you, like you just, it's uh, like you just dated yourself pretty yeah hardcore. sure whatever ben man let's go there then wow. yeah, folds five or solo project what are we doing yeah, yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but i i feel like the more i learn about wine the more i learn i realize i don't know that much about wine and like i love that like being put in that like like humble spot you know it's like the closer i get to it the brighter the light is and like the further it goes you know it's like there's just so much to know and that's like and that's what i tell my staff it's like people are going to come in here and they're going to know more about wine than you i guarantee you people are going to come in here and they're going to know more about wine than you i guarantee you people are going to come in here and they're going to know more about wine than me many of them hundreds of thousands of people millions of people know more about wine than me and I know, I know that I know a lot about wine, <laughs> you know, like I've done my coursework and I've done my you know, reading and I can, t- I stay on top of things and I'm like, got my finger on what's going on, but there's so much about this thing that I don't know that I'm interested to know. And it's like, I mean, you know, we talk about like, I don't like Chardonnay. Okay. You know, got a lot to unpack here. I don't like Chardonnay, Right. The thing about Chardonnay is that Chardonnay is not Chardonnay is not Chardonnay is not Chardonnay, right? Like Chardonnay is this and it's that and it's this and it's that. And it's a thing I don't like and it's a thing that I don't, I do like. And so like that is what is like so exciting to me about wine specifically. And to like back off for a second about wine, like I love wine, but I love people more than I love wine. And I think the like real core of what I love and I'm interested in is our guests and my staff. Like they are like, you've mentioned it. Like they are like unbelievable people. And they, you know, they come to me with various interests and knowledge in wine and some have none and some are interested and some had this job and some had that job. And like, that's not important to me. Like at the end of the day, they're like incredible people that are interested in taking care of people um, and are interesting and interested and like want to be a part of what we've got going on. And so like our guests, my team um, are just like, I'm just like excited to like be in there and talk to all of those people that I just mentioned. And then as far as like wine itself, like I said, it's just like, I think I said it already one time about something specific, but to be more general, it's a whole ass can of worms. And it's like, I'm just going down that rabbit hole and I've been following for years and I imagine I will for many years to follow but it's just an interesting thing i mean again back to the top like eric danch i didn't fucking know about hungary and like hungarian wine and the history there and you know like serbia and romania and all these places where the like borders are these weird you know (laughs) this year it was this country and this year was that country and so and so has that grape and such and such has that grape and like oh this this came from the roman empire but it's like you know there's like deep history deep tradition there's like it, it's just a crazy thing and and it's something that is like also so commonplace like i remember like i did um i did the w set training the wine and spirits education trust um level three training and which i found amazing because like it's also like very humble and like what it talks about um and like what they teach what we talked about, like, they were like, what's the average price for a bottle of wine in the world? I put that question to you. What do you think the average price for a bottle of wine in the world is? $7. That's actually right where I was going to put it to. Yeah, I think it's 8 
<laughs> but it's like, but it's so like, close but, to glory. But that's a thing where people in our little, you know, world, you know, sniffing each other's farts. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, like that's crazy. I don't have a, I don't have a bottle of wine under ten dollars on my shelf, and so it's like really important to like know where people are coming from, what's important to them, and like, and what this all means to people. You know, and like we're definitely coming from this kind of more premium experience, you know, like higher end thing, but it it's a, it's a part of it's a part of something bigger where like wine is a part of a lot of people's everyday lives in many different countries and many different cultures and whatever, um, and like how how do we fit into that basically is like interesting to me. If um, so, you know, th- through this research and and stuff, I mean, and I know that you know, both both Chris and I have pretty extensive libraries when it comes to booze books and things like that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to these European wines, because I would have to assume that you've picked up a couple along the way. Is there, if, if someone's listening at home and you're just kind of like, you're like, Hey, if, if you want to know more about these Hungarian wines, if you want to know more about these, Eastern, is, is there any book that you could recommend or thing, I mean, like, obviously, we need to stop dragging our feet and get Danch on the podcast, which I know oh we've talked God, about before. Please. But um, on that, just listen in the corner. Oh my God! <laughs> but until we do that, is there like a bit of education out there that you're like, hey, go check this out and expand your mind? Like, and then obviously come down, come down to you know the diner and have some wine with me. But you know, yeah, is there anything you can think of? Unfortunately, not really. Um, I mean, there, there's lots of really great books out there and it depends on how you learn, right? Like I love maps. And so the world Atlas of wine, I'm like, so in great, on that yeah, because it's like, it's cool because you, you know, you opened it to friend, you know, France, and then it'll like dive into like the sub regions, the war, Alsace and so on and so forth. And then kind of break it down about like what those regions are about and what grapes, you know, grow in that region and some notable producers and some, you know, stylistic comments and stuff like that, which is cool. And so sometimes when I'm like tasting a new wine, I'll like get the Atlas open and kind of be like, okay, like this is where I am. Loire Valley is here. And then here's like Chinon, this like smaller region within the Loire Valley. And like, this is what's going on. Like this is where the river is. And this is what the ground's made out of. And this is, you know, if it's Chinon, then it has to be this grape and that grape. And so there's like all kinds of interesting stuff that goes on there. Um, so I like that. Um, you know, Raj Pars Sommelier's Atlas of Taste is an interesting one because it's like a little bit more talking about there's like a lot more producer profiles and um, learning about um, regions and tradition through the eyes of people who have kind of like been a part of that tradition for a long time and talks a little bit more about like taste um and and flavor and like where that comes from um resulting from all the crazy variables that go into making wine um i mean specifically about eastern europe i'm not gotta start taking royalties from eric but like danchengrangerselections.com like um he he does incredible write-ups on all of his producers and all of the wines um like really thorough um and he he knows these people like you know he's like you know on facetime with them with his kids and their kids and it's like that kind of vibe and so um he's really kind of entrenched in what's going on in eastern europe especially hungary a a huge chunk of the of the portfolio is hungary um and so and like real talk if i like could go and do wine travel like business travel thing which is like not a real thing in my life right now 
I would 100% go to Hungary. Like, oh, that's right. I was about to ask. Yeah. I, was, France's, I, was, I would France's, go with Eric in a heartbeat. Oh my God. Yeah. Like there's a lot of places in France that I would love to be. The Loire Valley and Alsace are like loving that. Um, Germany, there's several places in Germany I'd love to go, but if I could only go to one, I would definitely want to like go to Hungary and like, you know, even just with Eric's guidance, just kind of like learn about what's going on over there but it's compelling man and, and and these these wines are it's just you know even in talking to him it's like they're incredible wines like i've said before it's not just novel it's not just cool that i don't know about it or that people don't know about <laughs> it or that it's like from this place that you know less about than france these wines are incredible wines like they're not like it's not just cool for the sake of being cool they're like showstoppers um and i love that yeah i think i call one... the i call that term that you're sort of like dancing around i, I call it the the green day effect because i i recognize it in middle school when uh uh you know everybody liked green day but there was always like a handful of people who were like ah fuck green day. but then you know they get into high school and college are like oh, okay green day is actually pretty good and i was just an asshole it's like they just <laughs> wanted to be contrarian just like just because you know mm-hmm. but what but clearly these wines don't fall into that they're just incredible yeah well i think there's and when when i think of that i mean because you know most of most of my like eastern european you know knowledge base is is really heavily around like georgian wines Mm -hmm. and um you know we've got to sit down and and taste through many of those together we've got to sit down with noel brockett who Mm -hmm. is a former partner of of eric as well so it's like this all this little Mm -hmm. you know uh group together and one of my favorite favorite book set that it was it's called for the love of wine and it's about georgian wine and uh in it there is a georgian winemaker who goes to a french wine festival and he's showing on his wines and stuff like that and people are you know asking him all these like you know more of like the technical questions and things like that and he's really struggling with a lot of the questions because he just doesn't understand the terminology that they're using and and whatnot and and the part that stuck out to me the most was like, you know, well, what's the terroir made of? And he's like, well, what is terroir? He's like, well, what's the soil composition? What is, you know, is it minerals and stuff like that? And he's like, it's the blood of my ancestors. That's what my terroir is. Right. And that's just like, and I think that mm-hmm. sums up so much of, of that, of, you know, that entire region where these things are just so ingrained. It's just, you know, it's just part of what they do. It's part of their culture and it's part of um, something that's really great that, we can sit in this little wine diner shop in Sacramento, California, and be enjoying wines from Southern Hungary, you know, a country that mm-hmm. who knows if we'll ever make it to, but we can sure as shit mm-hmm. drink as much wine from there as possible. So yeah, um, I think what you offer is so unique and it's so much fun. And and again, like the same way that, that you trust, um, you know, your distributors and suppliers and producers, I think from a consumer standpoint, when you find someone, and I know I've talked about this in terms of more of like the retail uh, aspect to it, but like when you find someone who's picking wines that you really enjoy, it's just like, yeah, just keep going back to those spots because that person's palate, you know, it might evolve, but it's not really fully changing. Right. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, you know, identify perfectly and for, and I can confidently say like, you are one of those people that I'm kind of like, oh, Bennett picked this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll fucking try that. You know, it's like, and there was, there was one time where we were at this tasting together 
and you were like, Hey, you need to go over to that table and try that stuff. And it was just like, I almost dropped whatever I was drinking right then. I was like, okay, I got to go. I got to go over there because he told me to do it. So, um, so I just want to say thank you because you've, you've opened up my eyes to so many new things and have, um, I mean, I, I get, and you've also, I just can't emphasize enough how awesome it is to sit in a familiar setting with completely unique offerings where you don't feel like an idiot, you know, which is just great. And the diner plays a big role in that, at least for me. I mean, I'm still an idiot, but I don't feel as bad about it. I concur. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we're already running pretty long uh on this and so what we're gonna do is we'll do one story and then we'll go into the dough falls which i feel like this is happening more and more i think that we just you know we're leading more into these interviews so hopefully people are still liking it but let's uh talk for a long time about old grape juice this is exactly what we wanted um but now we're going to give our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources So right now there is um, a little uprising in that in that uh, in that little country called France, and uh, there was an article that came out in a picture in Bordeaux of diners enjoying wine while um, there is a fire ablaze behind them. And so when I saw this, I just thought it was like really interesting. And we actually have uh, one of our former our former guests, Justin Dolier, who. Um, uh is actually in france right now and he says it's really not that bad like it's actually pretty been kind of cool but in seeing two people enjoy wine while a fire is ablaze in the distance can you think of any situations where you're like we should probably stop drinking this i mean now bennett where your where your um shop is at it it can sometimes get interesting with the people going back and forth especially with some of the surrounding bars and, and everything like that what's a what's the most suspect situation you found yourself drinking in (laughs) i don't know man i'm pretty boring um (laughs) suspect situation drinking wine and um i don't know yeah there's some we got some characters on the block but like there's nothing like there's nothing too crazy going on we had some we had someone rolling the shop last night and just like grabbed a bottle off the shelf looked totally like normal there was no indicators of like weirdness and just like opened a bag of chips and started eating it and then like took it to a table and sat down and we're like, okay, like, that's cool. You could like, I'll put that on your tab. And then like walked over to the little display and just like grabbed a wine key and just like ripped open a bottle <laughs> um, and started going, going on that. So that, that was a little bit interesting, but yeah, I mean, this scene is like, I don't know, this is one of those things that's like crazy and also not a thing I want to touch with a 10 foot pole. Cause it's like, you know, the French revolution's happening again, <laughs> you know, like, they did this once like they're gonna get mad um and some people are like chilling drinking their glasses of wine i mean i think the devil's advocate when i read this is like who i wonder what they were talking about you know (laughs) i wonder if they're having a deep conversation about the state of labor in the country and that how the you know retirement age would impact their lives of themselves and their children and their families it's possible that they were joining in the discourse um, about what the rioters were lighting on fire. I think that's, I think that's a great question. Like the, like impossible, impossible question. You know, what were, what were they discussing? Have, and that actually makes you think because, you know, when you do deal with a lot of like Eastern European offerings and stuff, 
have you have you ran into any situations with any of your distributors right now where it's kind of like, hey, it's just a little volatile over there? Because I remember when I was with JVS, you know, we had quite a few products uh, from Ukraine and like one of our most popular breweries at one point, it was like, guess what, guys? We're not making beer right now. We got our hands full. Um, have you ran into that at all? Uh, just over the last couple of years, just just any political unrest that you're kind of like, uh, yeah, this wine's really good, but you're gonna have to wait till uh, the regime change. Yeah, I mean, there's been some stuff with some Eastern European countries where there's been like stories of like, you know, export ministers being sketchy and things like that. Like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff where there's like another thing that's crazy about wine for your listeners is that there's like so many rules right like you want to make a wine in france and you want to make it in a certain region and you want to put that region's name on it there's a bunch of rules about like what you can and cannot do it has to come from the scrapes it has to be farmed in some kind of way it needs to be owned by so and so la 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 and those things carry over into like all kinds of different countries like there's a wine I guess I shouldn't say exactly what it was. I'll say it's a wine from Eastern Europe. It's a sparkling wine. And if you're making a sparkling wine from that region and you want to put that region's name on it, it needs to be composed of a certain uh, slew of grapes. This wine was not made from that certain slew of grapes. And they just wrote it on the label. They were like, it's what you want it to be. And then when I like received the wine and tasted it, it was like, yeah, they wrote that on it so that we could get it out of the country, but it's actually these other five grapes. Um, so that might be something you want to write on your little shelf talker or on your label or something, because like what's written on the bottle was like the law. <laughs> so that we like if you want to drink this wine, you need to like just be okay with the fact that the label's just like lying. And uh and we were happy to receive that wine and sell that wine. Um so there's always like there's always crazy laws and the like the Vin de France thing, like that's a whole, you know, like any wine coming out of France can be called Vin de France, but if you want to call it from the Appalachian, then it needs to be so and so and made out of this and made out of that. And a panel of people need to taste it and say, yes, this is typical to our area and fits our idea of what our area is. And if it doesn't, then they say you can't put that name on it. And it's a whole crazy problem honestly the craziest thing that we've run into is actually not with wine and is not a specific export problem but i think just some like covid holdover stuff but it's tinned fish there's like fish from spain and portugal there's like stuff that we were like selling like hotcakes in the first three months that i literally they're just like yeah i don't know when that's coming again like that's just not i don't know it's not coming right now. That was okay. So, so I do have to ask you that. So today we're sitting at the bar, and you know, Chris orders some of the fish, one of the one of the one of the one of the tins, and boy, was it pungent! I mean, it mm. was just kind of like I was like, boy, I just was, I was like, could you move over like three spots so I can enjoy my wine? There. Um. It wasn't I, I anchovy. No, no, it wasn't. It, he's just a he's just a wood. He can't handle. Listen, real, I'll I'll, I'll I can live with that, you know. But but canned fish, yeah. it's great. What? Okay, and I'm not saying it's not great, but it's also I can't think of another place in Sacramento where you can get that. Which again, maybe you're just finding you're finding your groove. What what was like? It was like this is what we're gonna do. 
this is the food that we're going to bring we're going to bring again again like i wish i could say it was a novel thing it's like a thing in like wine in europe and i guess i guess again kind of like in natural wine there's this kind of like it's more of a commonplace common product and it's like very common in like you know i guess spain and portugal more specifically to like have really high quality fish that's canned and you rip it open and you like have a hunk of bread and like that's lunch or like that's happy hour or like whatever it is you just like slap some fish on there dunk it you know rub your bread around in the oil that's in the thing it's very like most of it is very wine friendly or wine is very tin friendly perhaps um it just, <laughs> just kind of like silly makes, point. It just kind of like <laughs> makes sense i don't know it just makes sense like Again, a lot of uh, again for for us, a lot of the wines that we sell kind of fit in the high acid category, um, which uh-huh. is a thing that is like again terminology is weird. And like when I say high acid, most of my guests think about heartburn, and it's like not necessarily the same thing. It's like the perception of acidity in our mouths is that acid makes our mouth sweat, basically like salivate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so high acidity wine goes great with a lot of foods, especially rich foods or oily foods or like fatty foods. Um, and so the tins are usually packed in some sort of oil, um, usually high quality olive oil from the country that they're from. And that with high acid wine is just a thing. All right. I'll, well, I'll take the plunge next time. Agreed. There was and there was a there was a we'll new walk fish you there. in. We've got some like we've got some tins that'll kind we can kind of like get you there. There's definitely some tins that are like not first timer tins, you know, yeah. like they're like a little bit more like fishy, which is a thing, a polarizing thing. But there's definitely like we have these mackerel fillets in spiced oil with pickles, which like is the that most was my first crazy. one. Yeah, dude, it's like the most crazy string of words I can think of. You know, like what like fish with spiced oil and pickles like yeah. what but also that's what? the one stoner that got a hold of the marketing by. department i wasn't what's that i wasn't that's i wasn't offended, was by. offended by wasn't mm. offended i just was like i was uh-huh. like man this it's is this is really getting into my nostrils as i'm trying to enjoy this chen and blanc like yeah, that's yeah. you know yeah. again as if we're gonna like put off as many people as possible right now i just want to yeah, yeah. i want to i want to paint that scene for everybody unbeknownst you know? to you the chen and blanc would have loved a little bit of mackerel with spiced oil and pickles i offered i offered no you offered me the second one the oh, one that, that's right the one that you didn't know what it was that's right. which was like the scrit the scrat, scrat or the yeah. scrat that's yeah, it scrat. it's like the sardine of denmark obviously Anyways. also delicious not not obviously i didn't know about it until i saw <laughs> it on a thing it was more of a facetious obviously um chris do you have any uh unique uh dumpster fire drinking situations that you want to share with us i mean i feel like at some point in my time consuming alcohol i probably was literally sitting across from a dumpster fire seems like it but i also drink a lot so i probably could have forgotten and or dreamt it no who knows uh i i've seen a lot of crazy things in my years both behind behind the bar as well as like consuming uh i i have never sat near a uh an ongoing revolt uh that that picture 
is an amazing photograph. It's uh, it's incre- incredibly, um, it feels iconic to our time. That picture, it's it's amazing. It it brings back just like Bennett said these, these like emotions of the French Revolution. It feels very much like bourgeois sitting there, you know, let them eat cake. But also, it feels incredibly European and like, oh yeah, hey, go ahead, guys, like go get them. We're gonna sit here. We got your backs, like, you know. Yeah. Thanks rah, for doing rah. the good work. I'm right? bringing like, my Merlot. <laughs> I, I try not to Emily, uh, Emily uh, attach a narrative here. onto the picture, but uh, God, I want. I wish I was there. I want to know what they were talking about. Just like well, that. it was my first instinct was wanting to know what was happening in that conversation. And we'll we'll share we'll share the photo. One other thing I want to point out before we move on is that there is very clearly um, a waitress working that day. And could you imagine having to go in for your shift and be like, "It's like just come on, come on, Lisa, come in." The, yeah. Ignore, ignore, ignore the riots. Okay, okay. We're short. We're short staff today. We really need you to step up. Okay. I mean, the rioters aren't mad at the restaurant, right? You know, no, and that was actually something. Thing, their thing. It's like, yeah. In 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 speaking with Justin Dolier, who's over there right now, he um he had mentioned he was like he's like oddly enough, most of it is taking place in the suburbs because they're trying not to take it out on on uh, some of like the tourists and things like that, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, So that was his feedback from, from Justin. So, so we do have a man on the streets there right now. (laughs) We can, we can get more feedback, but, um, but yeah, we will, we'll, we'll add this to, to the Instagram. So, so people can uh, check it out and they can, maybe what we do is we'll, we'll, we'll have a dedicated post to be like, what's the conversation that's taking place here? And then we'll talk about our favorite ones next week. So, Bad captions only. Yeah, yeah. Like we have to write this down so we don't forget, like we did last time. <laughs> um, we did. We had people like hitting us up. Actually, our buddy Leon did that. He like hit us up and like and, like gave us a thing that we asked for. And both Chris and I were like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "You asked for it on your show." And I was Dang. like, "Oh, we immediately we immediately forget as soon as we say it." So, um, but I have written it down. Uh, so maybe maybe it will happen this time. Producer but, uh, yeah. Next one. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, so now it's time for our dope follow section. This is where we tell you who you should be hanging out, and, or who you should be following, checking out, listening We're to, hanging out with, watching. You too. can hang out with. Yeah, actually, you no, know, there's people here. Yeah. There's people here. Actually, my dope follow. I would love to hang out with these people. Um, so, Bennett, we're going to start with you. Who is your dope follow? Um, I'm allowed to do multiple of these according to my uh, uh, listening to the show a bunch of times. So, I'm going to do one wild card one. Um, there's this guy who I don't know personally who came up in my feed somehow. His name is, his name is Sam Yulkis. Yulkilis. I'm sorry, Sam, for messing up your name. Hopefully you don't hear this. Euclid? Is um, it is it Y O S A M Y O U K I L I S? Yeah, like Kevin He's like Kevin Euclid. It's like Kevin Euclid who was a third oh, baseman for the is... Boston Red Sox. Cool. Maybe or no, no, or first baseman. He's one of the two. Or catcher. I believe that. I know what it was. I'm gonna take your word for it. Um <laughs> he's a photographer. Um and he uh it's, I think he's like mostly based in Italy now, but he's from New York 
And he does this like really awesome thing where he makes these like compilation, like comp, comp, comp. compilation. There you go. Compilations. He's of... just like me, Chris. He's just like me. I made a compilation. Um, he makes uh these little there there are these like little video vignettes, um, but like from a photographer's lens, and so there's lots of like hands and shadows and like all these little vignettes of life around like he does this one about like people cutting fruit in a fruit market and like how they cut it and they're just kind of these like zoomed in like watching people like cutting samples of fruit and it's like beautiful and it's just like one of my favorite accounts to watch just the stories um and then every once in a while again he puts them together in these posts where it's like this is someone stirring pasta and it's like weirdly mesmerizing and beautiful and like yeah again here's here's these like 20 little videos of people cutting oranges into pieces in the way that they do it and it's like wow gorgeous um so, so that's my yeah so that's thing. and yeah the first one is a fettuccine alfredo the thing that the thing that i always love about our dope follows is like you know you can always see like who else follows them and whatnot like how mm-hmm. many people that are already on to it you're kind of like like damn yeah. they beat us to it like yeah everyone really you love is already following this guy yeah and you're kind of like you're like oh this is this is very strange so so again the first video is fettuccine alfredo and just like just, watching people stir up fettuccine alfredo and that's all like, that's all in so awesome Thirty two thousand people were kind of like this is the content that I'm i mean this for. dude's like legit like he sells art for like money but like <laughs> i mean just watching watching his which is i guess is the goal right um, but just watching his stories, like, you know, I'm just watching someone pour olive oil over some burrata and I'm like, dang, that is like awesome. He does crazy things with windows. Anyways, check it out. It's, it's just like, he's got his filters, right. And his, you know, his shutter speed and whatever photographers do, but like, dang, just beautiful. Love watching these stories. I like this one with the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend or husband and wife standing at a bar and uh, he's rubbing her butt and uh, biting her ear. Yeah. It's like a whole series of like, I love you in public yeah. series. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> because it. like I talked about wine for a long time, I'll say um, shitty wine memes. Oh, definitely. Um, Favorite. Which yep. maybe maybe has already been talked about on the show, but like, yeah. Just I actually have a out. sticker right here. Memes. Oh my God. Incredible. Just, just good, you know. Kind of like puts you back in your place, reminds you that you don't know what's going on, and nobody does, and that's okay. That's I love it. that account. That's a great one. Okay, Chris, don't follow us. Go. Uh, I got one. It is on Instagram. Surprise, surprise, and it's a uh, National Park Service. Oh, check oh, bar. So nice. good. It's so, so good. good. I don't know who they hired to start taking over their damn instagram and the social media but god damn it they killed it incredible i feel like this is the second time that you've recommended them in like the past four weeks no i don't think so i I have a checklist i have a checklist that i keep oh do you okay to make sure i don't double dip maybe you send it to me and you're kind of like are you looking at these oh i I definitely done that oh it's incredible okay that's a it is it is great they're doing a hilarious it (laughs) is slightly educational uh, and it makes you want to spend time in nature, which I feel like nailed it. It's perfect use of Instagram. Love it. Um, okay, so I have two. Uh, the first one is an Instagram account, and it's the Dumb Dads. 
and uh, as fellow dads, you guys will appreciate this. My favorite thing that they do is they do press conferences and people ask them questions. It's kind of like, you know, so, you know, you said that you, you guys were going to get out of here in, in five minutes. Uh, you ended up leaving 30 minutes. Uh, what, what happened there? And then <laughs> the dads are just like, you know, we just lost control. Um, the little one was wearing pants and then I turned around no longer wearing pants. Not sure where the miscommunication was. We were trying to it's leave. It's like the post game recap. That's all it is. Caster style. Yeah. It's so funny. And it's just, there's been a few where you're just kind of like, I wish that I could get these questions so I could blow off some steam after, you know, like these guys are able to do. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've, I've been watching a ton of formula one and of course I've been looking for the right podcast. And I actually, this will be kind of a twofer because it's their podcast and their Instagram account. The Instagram account is off circuit F1. And this guy just does like basically unhinged videos about F1. And it just cracks me up just the commentary that he does. And then on top of that, we have the off circuit podcast. And so, um, he just does some race summaries. And then he also did like a deep dive on Fernando Alonso today. And just like the way this guy talks is absolutely hilarious. And, uh, and then also to, to Chris and to Marissa last week's guest, I have now kicked up the notches on my speed listening with podcast. Um, I have found welcome to the future. Well done. I have found with new podcast, I can do the 1.5 because I don't, I'm not used to their voices. And so it's okay if they sound a little bit fast, any of my podcasts that I've been listening to for multiple years, which is an unfortunate amount of them. uh, I have to do the 1.25. So it's still faster, but it's not. I stay at one, 1.25. That's, that's my new normal. It's great. A minimum, minimum 1.25. Yeah. yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I was, I was scared, um, but it I did it. Kind of crazy. Uh, like Sometimes. I tell my daughter, it's okay to be scared. That's how we find out we're brave. Yeah. That's right. Well, I finally feel brave, and I gotta tell you guys, those are, uh, those are some pretty dope follows. The music for the Good Bottle Pour podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore. Produced pretty awkwardly by uh, these two guys today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we ask that you subscribe. And please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends, your moms, your dads. Uh, probably no one under 21. They won't get it. But, you know, those general folk. Uh, simple things like that make a huge difference to a, to a little, little podcast like us. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison Six. Chris is Chris Sinflair. Bennett, where can they find you on the social medias? I, I hang out on Instagram. Uh, it's my first name back uh, forwards then backwards. So Bennett Tenet, Bennett B E N N E T T E N N E B. I don't post that much, but if you like pictures of kids and stuff, that's cool. Um, but really, the spot to follow is Good News Wine. So that's at Good News Wine on Instagram. That's where we post a lot of what's going on, events and updates and all that jazz. When's the next hot dog event? Hot dogs every Thursday is my guy. Every Thursday, we got hot dogs and we got funk music. I feel like just just as a rule, because, you know, you guys started at like six. I need to I need you to do like a trial hot dog at like four for me to be like hey um taste tester drew came in four o'clock hot dogs are 
our choice tonight. So come four back at six for dog. yeah for the four o'clock tasting. So I'm just I'm putting that out there. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do it. I just I just you know someone who doesn't stay out late. So you know we can do that. Okay. All right. Thank you. As always, we would like to thank you for tuning in and listening to this buffoonery. If you if there is anyone you think should talk to reach out to us we'll make sure that drew gets uh, nice and drunk and he asks i'm gonna drink a bunch of hungarian wine and i'm gonna and i'm gonna reach out to dance because i care i'm gonna do that's, it that's perfect. oh my god i can't wait <laughs> uh cheers guys cheers cheers guys thanks so much for having me and shout out to ganesh you're on the show with bennett